Welcome, my friends. Welcome, welcome. As we continue our series on trust. We're getting into some heavy stuff today. There is a, a foundational issue that we kind of tripped upon, although we didn't deal with it extensively in our previous episode. We're learning about dealing with... Hello, Skippy whoever else is joining. A reminder that if you have questions, please let me know on the live chat on YouTube, and I will do my best to respond with Hashem's help. So in our previous episode, we talked about this idea that in the end, everything comes from Hashem. Everything. Absolutely, quite literally, everything. And as such, even in a circumstance where somebody is doing you a favor, so they're not actually giving you anything. Hashem is giving you something. If God doesn't want it, it doesn't happen. It's as simple as that. And if God wants it to happen, it doesn't matter who doesn't want it to happen. All right, we'll talk about the bad guys and the enemies later on, but first and foremost, we're going to talk about, you know, the good people, the friends of yours, your colleagues, your cohorts, and they, they're trying to help you, and they're good to you, and do you a favor. And Rabbeinu Bahaya says, you should thank them. You should thank them. This is very important, <laughs> because... Rabbeinu Bahaya earlier said that there's no reason to thank anybody who does anything. Uh, earlier in the same chapter, Rabbeinu Bahaya said that if Hashem gives it to you in whatever way Hashem decides, so he says, that's fine. The, the middleman is irrelevant. It's just a, a mechanism that delivers it. And he goes on to say that there was a pious person, a person that it seems Rabbeinu B'chaya held in high regard. And he says, and, and he was thanking this person. He wanted to thank him. He wanted to praise him. And he says, I'm, I'm like shocked. What's, what's he thanking him for? What's he bowing himself in submission to a human being, everything comes from God. 
And yet Rabbeinu B'chai now is saying that you ask somebody whether the person is more capable or less capable than you, you're doing the shtadlut, the best you can under the circumstances. And you have to have no anxiety, no worries. <laughs> you leave it in Hashem's hands. So you make the request, you did your part. The im yishlam, I'm quoting from the passage we learned in the previous episode, the im yishlam al yidei echad mehem, and if one of them achieves success, wonderful. Then yoyde, then you should thank Hashem. The yoyde, and you should also thank the middleman. You should also thank the person through whom it happened. Why are you thanking him? So the Chivas Alvava says, for two, two reasons. Because of his or her good-heartedness, as in they elected or chose to respond to your request, and that was a choice they made. And because God brought about a benefit by virtue of their hands. Well, God brought about the virtue, and they were just the middleman or the mechanism why are you thanking them? Firstly, if, if everything comes from God, so you thank God, why do you have to thank the person? If it's because the person made the effort and you have to be gracious or appreciate effort, so then Rabbeinu Bachai should have left it at that. Thank the person through whom it was delivered for his good heartedness, for having made the right choice. You know, in, 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 the, in the previous section that we learned where Rabbeinu Bahai says, why was the chassid ingratiate himself? Why would he bow his head in submission and thank this person and glorify him? It's all from God. So the Bianchi of Emden has like a whole slew of questions and he brings multiple examples from the scripture and from our sages of people who were extremely grateful and expressed themselves as such. And the Bianchi Vemdin's resolution is you're thanking them for choosing to do the right thing, the good thing. He says, those are the choices we make. That's actually Bechira Chavshis. But really, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says this himself. It's, it's, I'm not sure I understand why the Bianchi gets so hot under the collar and, and he makes his point so forcefully. Maybe he's just trying to, to frame the words, bring out a point. He says, But then he adds, Because the Creator brought about benefit through this person. Well, if the Creator brought it about, why am I thanking the person? Now, I'm not reading this wrong. I'll tell you how I know, because the Toy Valavanin was a pardon me, was a far, far greater sage than I will ever dream to be. And he interprets this passage of Rabbeinu Bechaya in crystal clear fashion. He says, in case you're not sure, I want you to understand. You, the recipient, 
is obligated, it is mandatory for you to thank your beneficiary for two reasons. Ha'echad, reason one, al hatoi al for his good heartedness, for his generosity towards you. How do you know what he's thinking? How do you know it's in his heart? I don't. But it's apparent from his efforts because he tried to make a positive difference because he was attempting to help me. I have to deduce that this person is sincere and wants actually to bring benefit to me. So I should thank him for that. And then he says... That actually has absolutely nothing to do with what happens. As they say, it's the thought that counts. Ben Abichai takes it a lot further. It's not just the thought that counts. It's the action that counts. It's the action. He didn't just think. I know he thought because he or she acted. So I'm grateful for the choice to act, for the good thoughts, for the good feelings that were harnessed and actualized, that catalyzed an, an, a deed, a positive deed or, or efforts, deeds, whether these deeds yielded fruit, whether they brought success, benefit or not, the efforts were made. So you have to say thank you. And then he says, Vahasheni. Rabbeinu Bachaya emphasizes there is a second reason why you should offer thanks. Al Shahabeda Hevi Toyalte Al Because Almighty God has brought about good things through this person. Vaharehu Hasibo. And so says the Paslechem, this person becomes, if you will, the cause, the reason. And good things happen through good people, which is actually what Abed Mekai is going to talk about now. So we're supposed to thank the person for having done something for us. I recently heard a very interesting recording, a brief recording of a, of a fellow relating a story that he heard from the people in the story. This, this, this couple that was living in France during the Second World War, and they made a tremendous amount of effort to procure documents, a visa, for the Rebbe and the Rebetzin to be able to escape Vichy-occupied France. And an interesting part of the detail is that they actually had no success. Baruch Hashem, thank God the Rebbe and the Rebbe were saved. But in the end, it wasn't their efforts that yielded those fruits. And yet, the Rebbe made a special effort, together with the Rebbe to show gratitude to these people. The raconteur of the story is amazed by the fact that that the Rebbe, the Rebetzin went to such lengths even though they didn't actually help them. But the, the, that's not surprising. That's actually a, that's a Torah value. 
When it happens, it happens from our Kodesh Baruch Hu. Mighty God brings the salvation. The question is, who will be fortunate enough? So why should you thank a person? You should thank them for the efforts they made. So what difference does it make if they were successful or not? They weren't not successful because they didn't want to be successful or for lack of effort. They weren't successful because Hashem ordained that they shouldn't be successful. They didn't get the gift of being the ones. But you, as what we will call in Yiddish, menschlichkeit, decency and righteousness, you have to be grateful. It's very important they say thank you in Yiddishkeit to show gratitude. It's a profound Torah value. How does that weigh? How does that square with this whole betochen business that everything's from Hashem? And the answer simply is mituv libay. But Rabbeinu Bechaya doesn't leave it at that. He said it's not just about tov libay. You don't just thank a person because they meant well. You thank a person because of the actual success because of the benefit that came your way. But that comes from God. True. First you thank Hashem. You trust in Hashem. And then when it works out, you thank Hashem. However, you must also thank Why? Because God brought something good through His hand. This, this is the issue. This is the problem, my friends. This is what we are going to try to understand in our present episode. We kind of touched on this very briefly in the previous episode and I wanted to, to clarify it. Share with you the words of the Paslechem. I'm going to... I'm just going to say that what I'm about to share with you is my understanding of Rabbeinu B'chaya and I don't know that this is right. I don't know that what I'm about to tell you is the proper pshat in the words of Rabbeinu B'chaya. I think it is. I don't see how else you can understand the pshat. It is clear to me that this is the question that he's asking. That is clear to me. That's the question he's trying to answer. What is not as clear to me is, how does he actually answer the question? All right, so let me tell you what he says. And then after I tell you what he says, I'm going to try to tell you what I think it means. Because this is deep stuff. As they say, not simple. So Rabbeinu Bechaya now continues to narrate and explain why it is necessary to thank the person through whom a benefit was received. God does not cause or bring forth good things only through good people. In other words, the good middleman is the good person. If something good comes through him, it must be because he's good. Uma'atu. And he says it is seldom. That something which is harmful, something which, which diminishes, will come through them. That a loss will come through them. Now, this, this itself is actually surprising. Rabbeinu Bachai doesn't make it an absolute. He says, invariably, good things happen through good people. And it's seldom, it's very rare, that loss should come through them. This is not Rabbeinu Bachai's idea per se. 
this is articulated by our sages. As our sages put it, and for whatever reason, in all of the versions of the Shara Betochen, or the Cheves Halvavas that I have, the source given is Mesechet Bava Basra, page 119, side B. Although I also found this Gemara in Mesechet Sanhedrin on page 8, and it's also found in the Alkot Shemoni, and it's also mentioned the Gemara in Shabbat. But for whatever reason, it seems that people probably far more knowledgeable than me attributed this to the concept of the, the way the Gemara expresses it in Mesechet Bava Basra. But it's also found, like I said, in Shabbat and on that page 32 and on Sanhedrin on, on 8. And, and I'll soon show you why this is important because there's a unique way that it's presented in Mesechus Bava Basra, which I think will, it will add a, a level of understanding, a layer of appreciation. What did our sages say? They said, quote, Megalgalin zuchut al yadei zachin. The word Gilgul literally means cause. It comes from the root source of, of a wheel. You know, the wheel turns. So things get, when things are in motion, they will come to you. They will roll to you. They will be caused to come in your direction. It'll come, zakai, through a meritorious person. V'choiva, and something which is the opposite of a merit, a demerit, harm, will come, chayev. To somebody who's found wanting. Or maybe in English, somebody who's guilty. That's what the Gemara says. The Rebbeinu Bechaya adds, Ve'omar HaKosuf, and the verse says, Le'yo'una le'tzadik kol oven. Now the word Le'yo'una le'tzadik kol oven means no iniquity will befall the righteous. So the obvious question is, if it's a pasuk, if it's a verse, and if it's a gemara, it's a statement by our sages. First, Rabbeinu Bechaya should quote the verse, scripture, Torah Shabbat and then he should go on to te- speak about Torah Shabbat Why would he first quote the oral tradition, and only afterwards, as a codicil, like an add-on, say, Ve'omar, and it is written, Le'un le'tzadik kol oven. Obviously, that like jumped out at me. That's very strange. I didn't tell you, by the way, what's not clear yet. I'm just going simple pshat. So why does he do that? He says, And he quotes a Gemara. And then he says, And it is written as if to buttress and strengthen his previous point that King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, says it in the book of Mishle, in the book of Proverbs. So, you know, what do you do when you're faced with that? I, I took a look. Try to look in the Mepharshim in Mishlei, which is, it's in the 12th chapter. It's verse 21. And the thing is this, that when you read the Pasuk, when you read the verse in its literal iteration, it's actually not saying what Rabbeinu Bechaya is attributing to it. It's not what it means. It's, the simple meaning is, and no iniquity befalls a tzaddik. So the Mitzudah Tzien says, the word Yeuna comes from the Hebrew word Hizdamnut. Islam means opportunity. Like opportunity of iniquity, of sin, doesn't present itself to a tzaddik. Sin. Why? So he, the, the Rashi says, what does that mean? He doesn't have the freedom to choose? 
He can't choose to do the wrong thing. If he can't choose to do the wrong thing, he can't be righteous. As the Rambam spells it out in his laws of tshuva, if a person doesn't have the freedom to choose, then he or she cannot be good or bad. You're simply programmed. So what does it mean? A righteous person, he'll never have opportunity to sin. Well, then he isn't righteous. Maybe he was righteous. But once he became righteous, he now became a programmed robot. Because nothing is coming his way. He gets no opportunity, has no desire to sin. That, that just doesn't add up. So the thing is this. Rashi explains, what does it mean it won't befall? He will have no mindless iniquity. Simple example. A person wants to eat food that's kosher. He went to a kosher eatery. He said, can I see the kosher supervisor? Sure, here he is. Hello, Rabbi Schwartz, everything is kosher. Everything is kosher. I have watched everything. I supervise all of the activities in the kitchen. Everything came in, sealed, delivered, kosher sign. Everything's fine. That's okay. person eats. And then he finds out a terrible mistake happened. It was nobody's fault, so to speak. But it happened. It happened what shouldn't happen. So he ate non-kosher food. So you say he didn't do a sin. Yeah, but non-kosher food has a way of deadening the spiritual nerve endings. Like uh, certain kinds of toxic material that harm the tissue of your body. Eating non-kosher food harms the tissue of your soul. So it's a very sad, unfortunate thing, but it happened. And there is an impact. There was a great sage whose name was Elisha ben Avuya, and he was known to be the most brilliant of his, of his peers. And in the end, he had a mystical experience that caused him to figuratively tear up his roots. He became a heretic. He's not even mentioned by name in the Talmud after. He's called Acher, the other one. And there's a lot to say about Acher and Elisha ben Avuya, but the Gemara asks, like, how did this happen? A man who was so sagacious, actually so holy. He was capable of, 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 of experiencing outer body kind of uh, spiritual trips. And according to one narration in the Talmud, his mother was once overwhelmed with a craving for food when she was pregnant, and he, she ate non-kosher food, and righteous people... The, even small blemishes or small imperfections can have a huge impact. And it planted some kind of rotten seed within Elisha. It doesn't mean Elisha wasn't responsible for what he did, but he had a, a predereliction, a predisposition. And it came, from, it, it came from, from an accident, from a situation. So a truly righteous person won't have situational sin. It doesn't mean that they can't sin. If they can't sin which really the word chola is the gematria of chet. And sick doesn't have to mean ill, it just means lack of perfect, robust health. If a tzaddik isn't functioning as well as he or she should, that's also considered to be a sin of sorts. If he is able to learn at 60 and they're learning at uh, 59 kilometers an hour, then there's something wrong. They're, they haven't satisfied 
the expectation that Hashem has for them. So that's a, it's a sin as in a deficiency. So there won't be a mindless deficiency for a tzaddik. That's the literal meaning. I mean, that's, that's what Rashi says. The commentary of Rabbeinu Yehina says, Hashem yizbarach shoymer tzaddik min hashgiris. God guards the righteous from mistakes. And he also helps him with his Gabar al Yitzra. He gives him added strength to overpower his evil inclination. As our sages put it, Shomer is min Avera Pam Rishona, Vishnia, a person who works really hard to guard and restrain his or herself from sinning once and twice. Now Akadish Baruchu aids and abets. It doesn't mean you can't make a mistake, it means it gets from a certain vantage point or perspective a little bit easier. But this is like a, a secondary explanation. The simple explanation is HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shoimer God guards, safeguards from Shigiris. So it doesn't exactly say that nothing bad, nothing demeritorious can happen. It says to the Tzaddik himself, so Rabbeinu Bachaya is kind of expanding this idea. And he says, just like an inadvertent sin wouldn't be the fault of the person who did it, but nonetheless would leave a, an imprint, a residual impact because, because something inappropriate happened here. So then he reasons, then the righteous person won't be the payload through whom God delivers something which is less than good, overtly good. It's not, it's not exactly what it says. <laughs> I think this is, and, and it has to be so, because, because that says, ve'amar, ve'amar. Now, the truth is, in addition to the fact that this comes to buttress the previous point, it actually segues into the next point that Rabbeinu Bechai will make, which is a secondary reason why Rabbeinu Bachaya may have chosen to place the quote from Mishlei after the quote from the Gemara because it kind of, it continues forward into the next situation. But at any rate, it's not straightforward. Let's go back to the Gemara. So what does the Gemara say? Well, the Gemara doesn't exactly say this either. It's Kemoyi It's like in the image, similar to what our sages said. What did our sages say? You know, let's take a look in the Gemara. So the Gemara has a discussion about, about two episodes during the inspired lifetime of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Gemara records two instances where Moses himself wasn't sure what to do. One was a, a positive situation and one was an absolutely terrible situation. The positive situation happened in the final months of Moshe Rabbeinu's terrestrial lifetime. He had already led the Jewish people into Transjordan. He had prosecuted the battles that Hashem had ordained, with the exception of the battle against Midian, battle against Sichon and Og. And these territories are going to be apportioned to the tribes of Reuven, Gad, and by Moses' dictate, a portion of the tribe of Menashe will also remain on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east bank. 
now. We talk about the inheritance of what is called Israel proper. The West Side. All of Israel actually is the West Bank. The West Bank of the Jordan River. From the river to the sea belongs to the Jewish people. That's our ancestral homeland. That's the place we as a nation call home for the last 33 centuries. The only place we call home. So the inheritance of the land of Israel, if you will, happened in an unusual way. Almighty God says He's giving the land to the people that leave Mitzrayim, the people who participated in the Exodus. This is a problem because those people refused to go to the land of Israel. There was a whole story with spies and scouts who, who told tall tales and it, without getting into it, it, it didn't work out well. And God says that whole generation, at least the menfolk, have to die. And when that generation of troublemakers, that generation of men who have their own ideas and are not subservient to Hashem will die, then the next generation will come into the land of Israel. But interestingly, it's the generation that leaves Egypt that inherits the land. And our sage is explaining like how this works. So, if two brothers left the land of Israel, then their progeny will inherit two portions of land. Even if one brother has ten children and the other brother has two children, the ten and the two will receive equal portions because they're not getting it apportioned according to those who entered the land of Israel. They're getting it apportioned according to those who left the land of Egypt, who were originally destined to receive a piece, a parcel of the land of Israel. All right, that's very nice. The concept of inheritance is a masculine thing, at least when it comes to real estate. Why? There's much to be said about this. Simply stated, the land of Israel is divided into 12 territories or provinces, and you are Jewish by virtue of your mother. You are of a particular tribe by virtue of your father. So if we have daughters inheriting the land, then the daughters may be married to a different tribe. And in short time, the integrity of 12 unique territories will be lost. And the interesting thing is that really, in the way Hashem ordains it to be, men and women are supposed to marry and build families, and every family has a homestead. We don't see a husband and a wife as independent of each other. They together form a single unit. And the inheritance for that family comes through the male. Other things come through the female, like being Jewish. Well, what happens if there's no sons? This was the question. And there was these very righteous women. Their names are spelled out in the Torah in different order for a reason. The Torah wants to emphasize both their age as well as their virtue and their stature. Very special woman. They're held in very high esteem. The names are mentioned multiple times in the Torah. Their father, he was not such a fantastic guy. And these women came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, 
So, so Moshe, do we get a, a piece of the land of Israel? And Moshe says, well, I, I, I don't know, because um, because inheritance is a masculine thing, but you're, you're all, but you're all girls. They say, well, <laughs> our dad didn't have any sons. So what happens to his portion? Does he just, it's like he never existed because all he had was daughters? Moshe says, I don't know, I don't know. I have to ask God. And the other instance is where a man does a terrible, terrible sin. He violates Shabbat mindfully, willfully, publicly. It, it, it had a, a very deep demoralizing effect on the Jewish people. It's a terrible thing. Even though some maintain he did it with the best of intentions, it was a terrible thing. And there's a terrible consequence. And Moshe Rabbeinu knows there's a consequence for violating Shabbat in a wanton, willful, public fashion, but he doesn't know what, what it is. So he says, I, I don't know what to do. They knew they had to put him under lock and key. He was arrested on the spot. But what do you do with this guy? And Moshe says, we, we have to ask Hashem. So the Gemara talks about this. And it's the Gemara in uh, Mesechus Bava Basra. And Avkuf Yotes on page 119, the Gemara goes through both of these cases. And the Gemara says, that this portion of the Mikoshesh, the woodchopper, who violated Shabbat, should actually have been written through Moshe Rabbeinu. It should have been initiated by Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the rule, the law. But it wasn't. What happened is that there was a story. Somebody actually did a terrible thing, and the ruling bears his name. The story happens about him. It's written or recorded, if you will, by virtue of this person. And then we have the story, the Gemara says earlier, that the B'nai Salafchad, that also this Parshas Nechalis was Ru'uya Hoysa, Parshas Nechalis, Likasa Mesha. It should have been written through Moses. Moses should have given the Jewish people the laws of inheritance. Elashazachu, B'not Salafchad, these extraordinary women, they merited. V'nichtaval Yadin was written through them. So why, why is this? And the Gemara says this is all Lilamedcha. Torah means instruction. It's a guidebook for life. And every detail, every nuance is a lesson. Lilamedcha. One of the most important words in the Hebrew language. Lilamedcha. To teach you. Because everything is a teaching moment. We have to learn or teach at all times. Lilamedcha. Shemegalgalen zechut al yedei zakai. That meritorious or good things come through good people. Benot Salafchad were good people, righteous women. They were deserving that this law, that this teaching should come through them. The Chovah and things which are wanting, guilt inducing things, negative things, demerits, demeritorious things. By somebody who's guilty. Okay, I don't see any questions. Um, whoever your name is that's trying to peddle your foreign faith, have a nice life. You know, if you don't like Judaism or don't like what I'm teaching, there's absolutely no reason that you should be watching this class or being on this channel. 
have a nice day or a nice life. Thank you for your advice and, uh, and thank you. There is indeed a sea of knowledge. Thank you, Mechudovich, for erasing this uh, idiotic comments. Thank you. Okay, so again, if you have any questions, everybody say, I'm happy to try and answer them to the best of my ability. If you're watching on Facebook, come on to YouTube because there's a live chat that I'm watching. So this is what Rabbeinu Bechaya says. He says, why should you thank the person? Because God brought something good through a good person and something bad through a bad person. That's what he says. So I, 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 this is where I got stuck. So I, I don't understand. It says clear, megalgalin. Megalgalin means that the good person is the fall guy, if you will, for a good thing. Megalgalin zechut. It's not that the meritorious person did this. Benot Salafcha did not bring this halacha forth. It's Hashem's halacha. It's God's halacha. The Torah is given through Moshe Rabbeinu. So why, why did it happen on their watch? Why were they the ones to catalyze this teaching from Hashem? They did other good things because they cherished and loved the land of Eretz Yisrael. The men said, we'll stay in the desert. The woman said, I hope we get a peace. So they're meritorious. So God brings about something meritorious. That's not a reason to thank them. On the contrary. So you're emphasizing that it's Hashem who does it. If it's Hashem who does it, why am I thanking the people? Don't be angry at somebody. He did a bad thing to you. Hashem wanted the harm to come to you. It must be. Because nothing that Hashem doesn't want happens. It's impossible. Everything that happens to us, Hashem wanted to happen. But it happened to this guy. Hashem delivered the bad news, the bad event through this person. Why? Because he's a chova. Because he's a negative person. Because he did bad things. So it's his punishment that through him bad things happen. The way you hate him, you, you, you can acknowledge, accept it from Hashem. It's his demerit. It's his unfortunate reality. So how did Abinu Bahai answer? I mean, the question is a, it's a stunning and important question. It's a very powerful question. Why am I thanking the person who did me a favor? Hashem did it for me. So in the first iteration, what Abinu Bahai says, I'll tell you why. Because because he has a good heart. As Rabbi Yankov Emden says earlier in this chapter, the person chose to do a favor, doing a favor is a mitzvah. It's a commandment in the Torah, you're supposed to love a fellow as yourself. You want something good for you, then if you care about somebody else the same way, you'll try to make something good happen for them. <laughs> doing something good for you is not a mitzvah. It's nature. Doing something good for somebody else is unnatural, and therefore you get credit for it. You chose to do something good for somebody else? You chose to give somebody else parnosa? You chose to open the doors for somebody else to be able to achieve success? You didn't make the success happen. You didn't give him parnosa. You didn't do anything. You chose to go through the motions that would allow something good to happen. How does it happen? It happened because Hashem wants it to happen. So often people make every effort and come up empty-handed. And then people sometimes do very little. And amazing things happen. Sometimes it's embarrassing. People come to thank you say, I didn't do anything. No, 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 it's, it's you. I said, it's, it's really not. I, I'd love to take the credit. I, I can't even imagine I'm taking the credit for it. I didn't do anything. 
Sometimes you might say something that inspires somebody. And they'll come back and say, you know, you said A, B, and C, and I was so inspired that I did something good. And I mean, you could fool yourself and think that you're so wise and so smart that you knew what to say, but the truth is, he got lucky. Now, lucky is a, it's a, it's a code word for divine design and a gift from Hashem, but that's really what it is. It's a gift from Hashem. Thank God that Hashem allowed you the privilege of being the messenger of something good. Could you take credit for it? You have to be a fool and arrogant at once. A shaita, a rasha, and a gasruach. And if a person thinks that he or she is the one to deliver your beneficence, your goodness, your sustenance, that's their problem. That's not my problem. Think whatever you want. I know where my, where my, my goods come from. I know where my sustenance comes from. It comes from Hashem. I thank Hashem. No, Rabbeinu Bachai says you have to thank the person. Why? They made the choice. That's, a, that's, that's in the, within their purview. You've made a choice. Hashem gives you the freedom to choose to do a mitzvah or not. Thank the person for making the choice. Okay. But here he goes further. A- and the proof is because he says, V'im yishlam, if it happened, if it happened, you thank Hashem. And then you thank the person for their good intentions and because Hashem brought it through them. And this is in the image of what our sages said, but the Torah was given through Moshe, not through Benot Tzalafchad. The rules were given by Moshe Rabbeinu, not from Mekoshesh. So Hashem arranges it that it's through them that it gets delivered because they were meritorious or fortunate. It doesn't mean the Benot Tzalafchad had the prophecy. What they, what they had, they were privileged. They were actually the ones to give the rules or the laws. How does, it, uh, how does it answer the question? So that was my question. This is what was bothering me, and I, I, I thought about this for a long time. So I'm going to give you my understanding of it, and I, and I could be you know, wrong, but the, the, this, is, this is the way I understand it. It's, it's, it's kind of two parts of a whole. First of all, the person chose to do something good now. So you should acknowledge it. Torah says... It's important to thank not only Hashem, but also the people that helped you, even if they weren't successful, or even if they were successful. Not because of the success, but because of the efforts they made. And if they were successful, that's another reason to thank them. Why? Because the reason that success came through their hand was because of another choice they made. Our sages say, Everything, everything is in God's hands with one exception. Literally translates as awe, reverence, or people might say fear, respect for Hashem. It's really a code name for moral conduct. Why don't people act out and do bad things even if it benefits them? Well, in the Western world, because they're afraid of getting caught. Or they're afraid of being embarrassed. Or afraid of being outed. Or locked up. They have uh, healthy fears that stop them from doing terrible things. Why should a person really and truly do the right thing? Because he has a sense of awe, a sense of fear, if you will, for Hashem. 
What does it mean to have a sense of awe? What does it mean to have fear for Hashem? It means that you understand that Hashem placed a mission upon your shoulders. That Hashem gave you the opportunity to be a vehicle for goodness or chas for shalom, heaven for fend the opposite. And He puts that choice in your hands. You can choose to do the right thing or choose to do the wrong thing. Everything is in heaven's hands with the exception of that which is involved or connected to Yiddishkeit. I may think I chose to put this tie on this morning. That is not a free choice. The choice I made to wear whatever clothing I'm wearing presently was influenced, caused by a whole variety of things. And in theory, if you could input all the information, all the things that have happened in my life up till the moment I chose to wear this suit and this tie today, you would be able to predict my choice. You could say that it was preordained. It's preordained. It was not a choice that I made. Judaism actually subscribes to that idea. The concept of predetermination is true. With one enormous exception. And that is something that's connected to righteousness, something that's connected to our relationship with Hashem and making our world a godly place. I chose to give this class today. I chose to study the material to prepare it as I did. And if the class is deficient, and if I didn't spend enough time and I didn't understand this as well as I could and should have, I alone am to blame. Because that is not like a suit, a jacket, or a tie. It's not like the food I chose to eat or not. That is an act of subservience to Hashem. The study of Torah is an act of holiness. The promulgation of Torah is an act of holiness. That's a choice I make. Those are the choices all of us make. By the way, you might remember this, but a good 15 or 20 episodes ago, Rabbeinu Bachaya illuminated our eyes. He said some amazing things. Even when you do a mitzvah, the fulfillment of the mitzvah wasn't your choice. It was the choice to try to fulfill the mitzvah. The actual fulfillment of the mitzvah is a gift. It's a gift from Hashem. It's a gift from Hashem that you and I live in freedom. It's a gift from Hashem that this morning I was able to pray shacharit with a minion. It's a gift from Hashem. It's a gift I didn't have a few months ago. Not because I'm a bad guy. Because Hashem decided that I shouldn't have the privilege to daven with a minion for months on end. Along with millions of other Jews who craved to do so. I couldn't do anything about it. Those weren't bad choices you or I made. Those were circumstances brought about by Hashem. The fact that we had the opportunity to daven with a minion today is a gift. The fact that I chose to come to the minion to participate in Shacharit B'Tzibur, that is a choice I made. A choice you might have made. That's a choice you should make tomorrow. Assuming that we're here alive and well. The point is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us opportunity to choose to do a mitzvah. And those choices, though they're ours forever. The money you spend on tzedakah belongs to you for eternity. 
The money that comes and goes, well, it comes and goes. The fun and delight and material pleasure you had, it's garbage. What does your dinner look like 12 hours later? Let's not go there. You can't study Torah there. All of the material reality is like that. All of the fun, all of the pleasure, all of the luxury, all of the sensual fulfillment, the gratification, the libido, it's all garbage. It's meaningless. What's the point? So you had a moment of fun. Well, whoopee-doo. What's left from it? Zero. But the mitzvahs you did are yours forever. The best money you'll ever spend is the money you gave to tzedakah. Whether you helped a person who's needy or fortified the promulgation of Torah, strengthened institutions of Yiddishkeit, these are things that nobody can ever take away from you. I heard of a man who was once extremely wealthy and he built a children's school. And then, unfortunately, sadly, he lost all of his money, lost everything. He was literally living a beneath the poverty level. It's enough to drive anybody crazy. And every morning, every morning he would drive in his dilapidated jalopy. He would drive to the school that he had built, that he had enabled. He would sit in his car and he would watch the children streaming into school to learn, to study, to become educated in Torah. And this is what kept him sane. Because in the end, all of his wealth was gone. What wasn't gone was the Torah school he built. The merit of the Talmud Torah of children, that was his. Nobody could take that away. What's Rabbeinu Bachaya saying here? Something good came from somebody else. Maybe it was sustenance. It was a favor you needed. Something good came from somebody else. Thank the person. Why? God made it happen. Yes, but God made it happen through this person. Okay, so God made it happen through this person. God made it happen. Why did God make it happen through the person? Because that person was meritorious. Because he or she chose to do holy, good, positive things. Which is why Hashem chose them now for a good, positive, holy mission to be the one to deliver something good, beneficial for somebody else. Thank them. Thank them for the choices they made in the past. In other words, and again, this is just my understanding and I could be wrong, but I don't see any other way to understand this. As the Paslechem points out in his commentary on the Cheves Halavavis, the Rebbeinu Bechaya is without a question talking about two, not one, two reasons to thank the person when something good came of his or her actions. What are the two reasons? The two reasons, they meant well. well that's nice. But I'm, I'm thanking them not just because they meant well. I'm, I'm thanking them because something good happened. Thank them because something good happened. Because that too was a result of their choice. Because they made the right choices in the past. Because they had Mesiras Nefesh. Because they devoted themselves to a higher cause. And oftentimes at a great personal sacrifice. That's why Hashem chose that they should be the ones to deliver this good thing for you now. And for that, for that you should be thankful. I think this is the pshat. I want to share with you a beautiful teaching on the Gemara, on the Megalgal and Schosai de Zakai. The Teiras Chaim asks 
a very powerful question. He says, why is it that the Gemara here in Mesechet Bavabasa, and the same thing is true also in Mesechet Sanhedrin and, and, and Daf Ches, although the Gemara doesn't introduce it through the same sage, and the Gemara doesn't introduce it in the exact same syntax, but the Gemara brings again both cases. The Gemara talks about Parshas Nacholis and says it was, could have been Ru'uya, that it should have been through Meish Rabbeinu, but Bnei Salafchad were Ru'uya Saisa. And then it was, it was were, were meritorious. And then, the Gemara says in Masechah Sanhedrin, through the Mekoshesh, why? So, Rabbeinu Bechayah seems to be quoting the Gemara in Bava Basra, not Sanhedrin, because in Sanhedrin, we say first Chayav, first negative, and then positive. But here we say, Rabbeinu Bechayah brings down the Lushan of Zchus, which is why, in no likelihood, everybody says he's quoting the Gemara in Mesechet Bavabasa. And the Mepharshim actually talk about that, that, uh, that we want. The Ritva talks about this. He says, you want to say something good first. Aye, why does the Gemara in Sanhedrin say Chayev? Maybe that's because it's a, it's a Mesechet that deals with judgment. It's not for now. Whatever. But I'll call upon him. At any rate, you see that our sages bring these two cases down. So the Teres Chaim asks a tremendous question. He says there is a much more famous example of a mitzvah that was given through people who were meritorious specifically in their request. And we're referring here to the mitzvah of the second Passover, the Pesach Sheni. The Sifri, which is the Medrash Halacha on the Book of Numbers and then and, and Deuteronomy on Sefer Bamidbar and Dvarim. The Sifri in Parshas Baalaischa says the following. Vayoimru ha'anoshim ha'hema. Those people, they said. So ha'hema, says the Sifri, magid shahayu b'nei adam k'sherim, that they were people who were suitable, appropriate, suited for what's about to unfold. That's the meaning of kosher. Kosher means appropriate. The charedim al ha'mitzvahs. The word to be chored ala mitzvah is a very powerful word. I know it has a bad rap today. Some people think it's negative to be charedi. We could discuss that another day. But the word means a person who trembles, a person who is in awe of Hashem. The difference between somebody who's chored for a mitzvah is whether the mitzvah is performed with a sense of diligence and, and punctual, meticulous devotion or a nonchalance. Yeah, whatever. That's a mitzvah. Chorid ala mitzvah. The person who's so meticulous takes it so seriously. These were people who were chorid ala mitzvah. They weren't asking for a Pesach, Korban Pesach, because they wanted a piece of meat. Because they didn't want to look different than everybody else. They were chorid ala mitzvah. They were trembling because they sought the link, the bond, the connection that we can achieve by performance of a mitzvah. And the Gemara says, the, the Sifri says, and actually it says it in the name of the very same sage that we have in the Gemara in, in Meseches Bava Basra, Shimon Hashukmoni, at least according to one version. According to another word, it's Chadka. The Gemara says that this mitzvah could have been Ru'uya Hoysa that it could have come through Meisha. Shetel Mardei Meisha. Ela shemegagulon schus al yedei zakai v'choiva al yedei chayev. 
the same Gemara. So why, why do we bring the Gemara of Benot Salafchad? Are we getting a piece of land? This is a story of people who wanted a mitzvah. And just to make the Teres Chaim's question a little stronger, there's an incredible sicha that the Rebbe spoke on Pesach Sheni in the year 1984, Tashem And the Rebbe spoke about this idea of asking for Mashiach, and begging for Mashiach, and pleading for Mashiach. And of course, there's always detractors. They say, oh, if God wants to bring Mashiach, he'll bring Mashiach. Well, why is it your business to ask for it? Besides the fact that that contradicts the very structure of Adavaning thrice daily, and it makes a mockery of the blessings we say in our Shmon Esrei. Forget about the multiple times we mention a yearning and a craving and a desire for Mashiach in our Bechat HaMazon and our daily prayers, besides the Shmon Esrei. So we plead with Hashem multiple times. So the Rebbe says that there's a tremendous lesson from Pesach Sheni. And the Rebbe says because there are 613 mitzvahs, 248 of them are positive. The mitzvahs of Pesach Sheni were not given at Sinai, at Mount Sinai to Moshe Rabbeinu. The proof is because Moshe Rabbeinu had no idea what to tell these people. He knew that there could be, it would seem, some kind of leniency for, 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 for the public offering. Maybe the blood could have been dashed on their behalf, but they couldn't eat the korban, as, as the Sifri says. But a, a, a korban Pesach on the 14th of year? Unheard of! So it's not just ru'uya, a detail, a halacha. This is the mitzvah itself, an entire body of mitzvah came to the Jewish people. Not through Moshe Rabbeinu, even though we say Torah, Tzivalanu, Moshe, and Torah. The Gemara says in Makot is, is the Gematria, the numeric equivalent of 611, and 611 mitzvahs are given through Moshe Rabbeinu, and the other two are given by God himself, Anochi and Luyelucha, that's the first of the Ten Commandments. The fact is that this mitzvah given through Moshe Rabbeinu was only given through Moshe Rabbeinu after these Anoshim Hahema, these people came and pounded on the table, and they demanded to be able to participate. So Moshe Rabbeinu gives them this new mitzvah. So the Teres Chaim says, like, what's going on over here? Especially in view of the way the Rebbe explains it. Why don't we mention this? And the Teres Chaim gives an extraordinary explanation. He says, it isn't just the big things, like a mitzvah. It's not just the big things. Here Moshe Rabbeinu knew about Parshas Nechalas. He knew about the halachas of Nechalas. He just didn't know the details, how this would work in a specific circumstance. Here he knew about the Mekoshish. He knew that a person who violates and desecrates the holiness of Shabbos in a mindful public way has to be taken to task. He knew there was a severe consequence. He wasn't absolutely certain of how it applies. And even in the tiny detail, we say, In other words, the Teres Chaim says, the Chiddush, the novelty here is that even the nuances don't just happen to unfold. Every tiny detail comes from Hashem Yisbarach. And if these people merited that a detail of Allah would be revealed, it was also because they were good. A person will say, well, it's the big favor. It's a little thing for me. Even if it's a little thing, no detail just happens. Happenstance doesn't happen in Judaism. Everything is hashgacha pratis. Everything is by divine design, by individual providence. Everything is by the hand of Hashem. And Hashem chooses His messengers. And we have to pray to be meritorious. And work hard to be meritorious. And to have the bracha that good things should come through us. That's the greatest reward. 
So this is, this is what I think Rabbeinu Bachai is saying. That's what I think he's saying. And then he says, Even you say, but uh, that's, this is not a mindful thing. This is not something that the person chose necessarily even to do. He chose to make the effort. He didn't choose for the good thing to happen because he can't choose that. That doesn't matter. You see that Hashem prevents something bad happening to a tzaddik. So Hashem therefore would cause something good to happen to a tzaddik. It's less of a, so to speak, a direct lesson. That's why it's only coming afterwards. However, I would like to humbly suggest that this pasuk, is not only buttressing and explaining the previous point, but in fact, it becomes the supporting verse to the next point that's about to be made. What if they're not successful? Up until this point, we said you have to be grateful, say thank you. If they were successful, they chose to be successful. They were meritorious. They, they, they deserved that Hashem should do something good through them. Say thank you for the choices they made in the past. Show appreciation for a person's strength of character. So, but in Mulay Islam, aha, does it mean that something bad happened through them? So, are they really a bad person? They look like a big tzaddik. They must be a horrible person because something bad happened to you through them. Now you point the finger and say, you see, you made all these bad choices and now Hashem delivered something bad through you to me. So I'll be angry at you for your past choices. A person <laughs> might be wont to say. Says Rebbeinu Bechaya, wrong. Al Yashimim, this works one way. It only works in the direction of gratitude, of appreciation. It does not work in shifting or blame, passing the guilt on to somebody else. Al Yisla Bahem Kitsur, do not, so to speak, hang your uh, uh, deficiency on them. That wouldn't be appropriate. Don't attribute it to them. Don't attribute it to the lack of effort. Well, if you said, Aha. That's precisely the point. Real bad, real evil. What's evil? Evil is a denial of the will of Hashem that we know is bad. Torah says it's bad. So it can be bad. This is no, mindless things don't happen from a good person. So then, why does something bad happen? Says Rebbeinu Bechaya, aha, at this point, So thank Hashem who chose that your good came packaged a little bit differently this time. It wasn't what you wanted. It wasn't what you hoped for. You anticipated that this middleman will bring you blessing and it didn't bring you the blessing. It's not over blessing. You'll discover someday in the future how actually it was a blessing for you. I once heard a beautiful story from a member of Ashul about a, about a man who came to welcome a tzaddik. The Vizhnitz Rebbe was coming to town and he played the fiddle. And there he was going to be balancing himself perched on a box and he was going to be playing music to welcome a tzaddik to the town and then he slipped and he broke his ankle and he was limping after he hobbled afterwards and he said why did Hashem do this to me here I am doing something good giving kavod giving honor to the Torah and then and then all of a sudden this bad thing happens to me well it turns out because of that limp his life was saved because of that limp his life was saved in the concentration camp and later enabling him to come to Canada. It's a whole story. 
And the point of the story, of course, is that he only saw how that mishap, how that bad thing, was actually the greatest favor. But it happened much later. So Rabbeinu Bechaya says, you see something bad happening through a good person, you say, look, he's not so good. He looks like he's good. He's not such a tzaddik. Something bad happened through him. Don't say that. He says, Then you should thank Hashem who chose to deliver the goodness to you in this fashion, in this package. So what do you do about the people? You have nothing to thank them for. You do have what to thank them for. You thank them for their efforts. They tried. They meant well. You thank them for the efforts. Never, ever don't show appreciation to somebody, regardless of how Hashem decided that the good should come to you. This is not the good you wanted. It's not the good you hoped for. You don't even see how it's good. You may never know how it's good. You may only discover it in another world. Yeah. You thank the person. They were sincere. They made an upright effort. Thank them. The Bianchi of Emden says, obviously we're not talking about somebody who had baleful intent. Don't go over to somebody who tried to harm you and say, thank you very much. Thank you for pulling the trigger. I'm so happy you, you wounded me. No, that's, that's plain stupid. You'll forgive me. That may be somebody else's morality. It is not a Jewish idea. Chas v'shalom. But Rabbeinu Yankiv says, he says, This is in a case where it is clear to you that these are your friends. They care deeply about you. And because they care about you, they certainly made every effort. They did everything they could to help you. If only they could have. People who restrain something good from you. And they could help and they chose not to. That's another story, he says. That's another story. That's not, you don't say, well, Hashem ordained that for that to happen, so I have to thank that person. That doesn't work like that. The fact that the damage might have been coming to you anyway is another story. And we'll learn about this later because Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is going to instruct us on how to deal with our enemies and our detractors. And we all have them. But here we're talking about friends, cohorts, colleagues, good people, righteous people. Maybe they weren't so righteous enough that they didn't have the merit. Or for whatever reason, Hashem chose to give you a different kind of good. Always be grateful. When somebody cares about you and tries to help you, show appreciation. A basic Yiddishkeit premise. Even though it didn't work out as you hoped it would. And it wouldn't, didn't work out. Guess what? They feel bad too. Not only do you feel let down, they feel they let you down. You feel that you didn't achieve success, and they feel they didn't achieve success for you. Don't blame them for that. Hashem decided to give you good in a different way. Thank them for their efforts. Having faith and trust that everything comes from Hashem in no way exonerates nor obviates the need for us to live with an attitude of gratitude to others always. Rabbeinu Bechaya says in his beautiful prose, this is how we should behave towards those who, who are colleagues, those who we know, those who love us, who care for us. Business partners. 
the people who work with us, assist us, shamashav, vishutafav. So you live with a sense of gratitude. As the Nedeb HaKodesh says, Goli Lahabayra. Only the Creator sometimes knows. Mashalai Nasa How when your aims were not achieved, your goal was not actualized, that it's good for you. And you have to show appreciation to Hashem. But don't blame the person who did his best to help. He meant well. He was a righteous person. And righteous people should be appreciated for their righteousness. If Hashem chose that good things happen to them, clearly they have righteousness. You should appreciate that. If Hashem chose for whatever reason that a different kind of good comes your way, you can't attribute it to somebody else. You have to see it as a different kind of good. The Teva Levonin says that the idea of is, I think the Teva Levonin supports my supposition that this Pasuk goes on the next part, not, not on the previous part. It's not a continuation, but it actually is launching the second half of the paragraph. He says, Yechoshev, he should think, that it came from a righteous person. It must be good. Ah, it doesn't seem good. Good, it doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem good to you, but it must be good because a righteous person will only come in a country. If the person is righteous, nothing bad will come through. If it came through a tzaddik, you know what's a good thing. Okay, let's see some questions over here. So, Skippy says, this makes sense. Does the book of Job attack this idea because what happens to him is like a test to see when his br- he breaks, even when it's good. Oy, let's, let's not go to the book of Job, okay? This <laughs> bigness join us, and that's a... Um, it's a tough book to study. That's a... Someday, I should live and be long, we'll learn the Sefer Eve also. I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to try to go there now. So, so this, is the, this, is, this, is, this is really what, what's being said here. And I want to finish off with, with, the, with this, this, this last point. So we learned that regardless of what happens, everything's happening through our Kaddish Baruch. Okay. So, and then I make the request, I should do the best I could and know that Hashem is going to do what He does through it. So what's, what's really interesting, and I want to finish with this, is that we find from our sages that not only do we see everything that happened as coming from Hashem by virtue of whoever it is that delivered the goods, but there's also a concept of even asking a person but really meaning Hashem. And this, this perhaps is something that happens to tremendous tzaddikim only. I don't know... I don't know if a regular person is capable of this kind of consciousness to be in an everyday situation, to speak to a regular person and to be thinking about Hashem, but, but there is such a concept. So in, in the book of Daniel, in Sefer Daniel, Daniel is, is um, in the fourth chapter, he's sitting before Nebuchadnezzar, who you know is a monster, a horrible, vicious person who hates the Jewish people. And Nebuchadnezzar uses Daniel as, a, as an advisor. And he gives him a different name, a Nam Digur, a Babylonian name, and he's sitting and telling him his dreams over there. And he calls him, in, in this Pasuk, he's called Bel Chatzar. So he, he tells him, Nebuchadnezzar is, like, is telling him a dream. And Daniel, who's called Aden Daniel, Dishmei Bel Chatzar. So then Daniel, whose name is Bel Chatzar, 
in the court. He's like astonished. Hearing these words, he's astonished at this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And he's a shtoimim. And his thoughts are like overwhelming him. Terrifying thoughts of what, what's going on here. So Daniel's sitting there and he's thinking, he's like shocked, overwhelmed. Right? He's terrified of these thoughts, what, he, what he's perceiving in this dream. And Onne Malka Va'omel, so the king spe- speaks in Vuchadnezzar. He says to Belshazzar, he says, Belshazzar, Chelma al Yivaloch, let the dream not shake you up, let it not uh, scare you. So only Belshazzar, Belshazzar answers to him, and he says, he says, More Chelma l'sonech ufishrei le'eroch. Let this dream be for your enemy. And the interpretation is for your foe. It's very hard to understand. <laughs> because, as Rashi says, Daniel is cursing the enemies of Nebuchadnezzar. But who are the enemies of Nebuchadnezzar? The Jewish people are the enemies of Nebuchadnezzar. He is their enemy. He hates them. So if so, how could, how could he say that? How could a Novi say that? Now, why, why was he terrified? Yari lifted her slechalim. He's afraid to interpret the dream for him. <laughs> this was not, not going to be fun and games. So he found this way out. More. So Rashi tells us, Omru Rabbo Seino, and this is Pshuto Shomikro. A rabbi said, Nim Gomorrah Mesechet Shabuot, page 35b. That if this word was written in a scroll, it would have a designation of being sacred. That means you couldn't erase it. You're not allowed to erase the name of Hashem. You're allowed to erase the name of Milord or something which refers to a person or an idol, but not to Hashem. So he says, this more is Kodesh. This more is holy. Because Tola Ein of La Kodesh Baruch Daniel was speaking. He was speaking but actually he was speaking to God. He raised his eyes up to God. It looked like he was talking to Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, Yiskayim, that this dream should be fulfilled on this enemy of God, on Nebuchadnezzar. Because in Tamer lives Nebuchadnezzar, if you're going to say that Daniel was talking to Nebuchadnezzar, Yisrael, the Jewish people are his enemies. Could, could the Novi have cursed the Jewish people? So based on this passing of Daniel, the way Rashi explains it, there's a fascinating comment which is found in Megillot Esther from the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon says like this. He says, in that moment, you know the moment they were waiting for, where finally Esther makes her move. Megillah Esther, chapter 7, verse, verse, verse 5. And he says, No, who? Who is it? You asked for your life. Who is it? Who done it? This is the moment. This is the most fateful moment. One of the most fateful moments in history. Who is this? Asher Meloy Libelasis Cain, who lusts in his heart to do such a thing, to destroy you. Esther. 
Esther says, Ish tzarve oyev. A wicked, an enemy, wicked man, an enemy. Homan haraza, homan this bad guy. <laughs> so it's ish tzarve oyev, homan haraza. Why do you say ish homan or homan ish tzar oyev haraza? So the Gemara talks about this. The Gemara says in, in Meseches, in Meseches Megillah, on page 16, side A, by the way, I gave Shiorim on this, and you can see it on Rabbi Kaplan.tv. Fascinating uh, Gemara. The Gemara says that when Esther, when Esther said these words, she pointed at Achashverosh, because he was no great tzaddik. He was not exactly a lover of the Jewish people. She pointed her finger at him, and an angel pushed her hand, a sudden invisible force pushed her hand, and she was pointing at, Achashver, at Haman. So the, the Vilnagon says, this is, this is like astonishing. Well, why, why would she do something like that? My How could she point at Achashverosh? What was she thinking? She knows he's the king. She's busy talking to the king. She's pleading for her life. So she points at him and says, you? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. So the Vilna Gaon says, our sages teach us, a person can live in his own reality sometimes. And, and, and you know, your, your, your imagination can sometimes be your reality. And we see this in multiple ways. Somebody wants to say Shimon, he says Reuven. Because that's his reality. Because Machshavta, he was thinking about Reuven. He said he wanted to say Shimon, but the truth came out. We call this a Freudian slip. It's not a slip. It's a truism. And then the Vilna Gaon says an amazing thing. V'day you should know. When they would speak before some king, some sovereign, some royal figure that was seen to be all-powerful. Their heart, their mind, their thought cleave to Hashem. Like we see with Daniel. Vilnagon says the same thing is also could be understood. In the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah speaks to, to, to the king in a similar fashion. She was talking to Hashem. And she said, She was talking to Hashem. Because it was so clear to her that she was talking to Hashem, she said, This is the guy. So the Vilna Gaon says, based on this an amazing thing, he says that not only does one have to thank Hashem, but really, if you want to live in a high level of trust and consciousness, I, I want to tell you that Bein Abuchai doesn't actually say this. And, and, may, and it could be this is for tzaddikim, and the Alter Rebbe says in Biuri Hazayar that betochen is for regular people. Tzaddikim are the betochen. Tzaddikim, good, bad, it's all, they're, they're, they're with Hashem. So I'm not so sure this would apply in the Shara Betochen. I'm not so sure it's even, I'm not so sure it belongs here. I don't know. It's just interesting, interesting to note that there's this idea that we know whatever happens comes from Hashem, so much so that by Tzadikim, even when they make the ask, they're making the ask of Hashem. And the Rebbeinu Shalom, Almighty God, finds His ways. That is how a person lives with faith and trust in Hashem. And it doesn't preclude being grateful and being gracious, and appreciating what others do for you. And this, my dear friends, 
is the betochen grade attitude that we have to work on achieving when we deal with people around us, when we engage in everything from commerce to interpersonal relationship with our wider social network, with non-familial situations, just people, to know that ultimately everything comes from the Rebbeinah Shleilam, and yet we should always be appreciative of what people attempt and even what people succeed in delivering for us. Zolons der Ebishter helfen, God should help us, that we should only know of good things, a good that doesn't have to be accepted on faith, a good that's overt and a good that's obvious. We should see the desires of our heart, the kosher ones, the good ones, all fulfilled in a concrete fashion. And we should be zeichemer Hashem, that out of our faith and trust in Hashem, and in dealing with people properly, attributing the success to the Rebbeinu Shalelam, and at the same time knowing that we must be grateful that this should help us to accelerate the process of redemption, the coming of Mashiach, Ben Heira, Ubi Amenu, speedily, and in our days, Amen. Thank you so much for joining. Have a beautiful day.